ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So buying a house feels harder and more expensive than ever before. It's stressful, it's emotional and it's a huge decision. And no matter how much you research and prepare, do you feel like a lot of it is just out of your hands? Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Jeremy Story Carter, a part of the National Regional Reporting Team. Jeremy, I wonder if that stress of buying a house could somehow be reduced if elements of the real estate industry changed. Mm, Optimistic. I I know, like in this moment, we know the situation in the rental market is so desperate. And for those who might just be able to find themselves on the cusp of being able to move from renting to home ownership, you know, there's so many barriers to entry and cost, of course, is being almost the first and the last of those. So the idea that there might be tactics that are being used that are not just underhanded, but they're actually outright illegal and that those are being used to inflate property prices, well, that's hugely problematic. And I think it's something we can all agree probably needs to be put in check. And what we're talking about here is underquoting. And the government said that they're cracking down on underquoting. It was actually a year ago, almost to the day, that they set up a dedicated task force to try and stop underquoting. They announced all different sorts of measures. They were going to monitor sales and sales campaigns, send out inspectors to auctions and try and make it simple for us to make a complaint, Jeremy, if we thought that we had been, I guess I can use the word, a victim of underquoting. (laughs) And to be clear, this isn't just about wasting people's time. No. You know, so if, you, if you're serious about buying a property, you're told, you know, there's all those online forms that tell you, you know, you've got to do your homework, potentially get a building inspection, maybe even, you know, enlist a buyer's advocate or a lawyer. And if you do all that, only to find that the property was never going to land in your budget, that's that's a true waste of your money and not something that you're going to want. But it's also not something that a lot of people are going to even be able to repeat across a number of properties. And so it's emotional, it's stressful, it's costing us time, it's costing us money. So how many of these measures from the task force implemented a year ago have been put into place? Has it worked? Has it stopped underquoting? Has it slowed it down in any way? How has underquoting impacted you? Have you wasted time? Have you wasted money? And what changes would you like to see happen? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Jeremy Story Carter, who is a part of the National Regional Reporting Team. Jeremy, underquoting, it's a huge issue for pretty much everyone who thinks about buying a property, no matter what your budget is. If it's something that's been underquoted by $10,000 or potentially millions of dollars, because anecdotally, I saw a, a property listed in the paper the other day that sold for $2.3 million over, $2.3 million over what it was advertised. Oh, just a hot market. Yeah, probably Yeah, probably just on the day really took fire. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it could be, it could be the tens of thousands, which is a huge, huge difference for a lot of buyers. And that feeling, um, I think is particularly among first home buyers, that feeling of looking across and something that you'd put weeks of thought into, weeks of mental energy, literal finance behind and projecting this kind of hope for this, only to see it 
not just not just unsuccessful in an auction, but truly taken in a direction that is, you know, percentage points far away yeah. from anything that you should ever be able to access. That's truly demoralising. How many people do you know, or maybe it's yourself, where you say, I was knocked out in the first bid. I never stood a chance within yep. that. And that idea of just being so grossly out of the game when you thought you were in, a lot of what we're going to go through today is what does the task force do? Is it working? And what measures would we all like to see put into place? A real estate agent who we're going to speak with a little later in the program from regional Victoria, quite literally for decades, has been calling for people's reserve to be listed within the price range. And we are seeing people individually put their hand up and say, as a vendor, I'm going to list my reserve. So I wonder where some of the change will actually come from us, the public, as opposed to the industry. What I'm interested to hear this hour is whether, though, that's that's a reality that's likely to bear fruit for uh, owners because the market has become so, uh, you know, distorted in such a way that to make that jump from one property to the next, as some people do, you can understand that they're clamouring at every last dollar and going to – you want every last dollar. So in a way we end up becoming – you know, end up using the own system that we might resent. But when it comes time for people to sell their properties, they're probably going to want to leverage all those little tricks to get as much because they simply – that's how you need to lily pad on to the next place. David Morrill is a buyer's advocate at Morrill and Corrin. David, let's start with the task force. It's been running for 12 months – has it been successful? Are we seeing change and less underquoting occur? Absolutely not. And the task force is pathetic. In fact, no one knows even who they are. No one's seen them ever. Should Should I be able to see them though? I mean, what should well, they be wearing? You know, high they, should be <laughs> they should be some sort of presence there. So people make complaints, and regrettably, they hear nothing from the task force. When you are acting as a buyer's advocate. What are you telling people about the the price? So let's say you see a, a property that's advertised for five hundred thousand uh, dollars between five hundred and five hundred and fifty. What do you then tell that potential buyer what they should be expecting to pay? Well, you need to do your due diligence. In other words, you need to understand what the property's worth, and um, that's just research. Now, if a property is quoted at say five hundred, but um, everyone knows that it's worth seven. 750 to 800 the owner wants 750 to 800 and it's quoted at 500 plus well that's an underquote that's just a grubby misleading deceptive underquote and yet when we're searching doing that endless search that a lot of people do on real estate websites and they set a price range and they see something that falls into their price bracket or something that looks like their price bracket, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, oh, maybe there's, I'm, I'm getting lucky here. Maybe there's something, um, you know, there's some reason why this is going to just fall uh, into my bracket. So, you know, presumably it can't just be put on the, the buyer to think, oh, well, that's, um, that's just way underquoted because you can forgive a little bit of optimism. No, no, but unfortunately the industry works on them. Quote them low, watch them go. Quote them high, watch them die. Um, that's the mantra of a real estate agent. Um, if A suggestion to the public, and one that they can do, is that if you actually go and look at the last three agent sales of the one that you actually are going to buy off, see what they quoted it for and see what they ended up selling it for, and you'll get pretty close to what it is. 
You would think that a fairly simple, even though the task force, and we will be speaking to Consumer Affairs in just a moment, who is behind the task force to look at some of the successes that they believe that they've had. We'll also be speaking to real estate agents throughout today's program as well. But one would think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, David, that underquoting would not occur if people were forced to list their reserve within their range. You don't think so? Certainly wouldn't. No, it wouldn't occur because that's that's what the owner's prepared to sell it for, right? And um, you know, if everyone understands that, so if the owner doesn't reach his reserve, we'll understand they'll have to negotiate off it. So it's quite a transparent way of doing it. But I can't see the industry, especially the institute, getting their heads behind it. But that being said, if let's say we'll use the five hundred thousand dollar analogy again, but if the owner's reserve is higher than the 5550 advertised then us as the buyer is going in thinking we should be able to buy it between 5 and 550 yet the reserve is actually 620 correct and that's why it's misleading and deceptive it is an underquote and unfortunately it's rampant out there i'd see 10 to 20 a week do you realistically knowing how uh, some of the measures that uh, are likely to have pushback from the industry do you realistically see there likely to be much change in this space no unfortunately i don't and i and we'd love to have the task force being successful but really it hasn't had any success or any ramifications out in the industry you know to to really fix this you need to name and shame them you need to find them more and if you really want to get serious you should find the vendor because the vendor knows he wants 750 how does he let the agent advertise it at five five fifty? He's complicit. And so, do you think, among other things, there should be more of a public-facing register of people who and agents who are um, found to be in breach of these? Absolutely. Rules? You know, they've said that with respect to consumer affairs, they say they've fined these people, which is great, but we don't know who they are. Yeah. Why can't Why can't they put it out there? It's yeah. It, it's it feels like we are going to be speaking to consumer affairs in a moment, and we'll also be speaking to um, the realist representatives from the real estate industry. And it does feel like they're likely to say, "Well, the task force is working," uh, and that maybe from the real estate industry perspective, that actually this isn't as much of an issue uh, as perhaps advocates like you are making out to be. Well, Why no, are they wrong? With respect, if you go out and speak to people in the public, you know they, they haven't fixed it, and underquoting is still rampant in the landscape. And we'd love them to fix it, but they look, they feel like they're like hands in the finger in the dike. They fill one hole and another leak springs. But the fact is that they haven't actually had any real success to stop it. Well, we do know that in the last 12 months, since I think June 30, since the task force was set up, they've issued 48 fines for underquoting and infringement notices that total just over half a million dollars. And they've also issued 37 official warnings to 29 real estates. It's whether or not those warnings and those fines are high enough to make any change. David, we thank you for your time. Thanks for kicking today's okay. conversation off. We appreciate it. Thank you. David Morell is a buyer's advocate at Morell and Coran. Let's have a chat with Jeff, who's in South Melbourne. Morning, Jeff. Oh, hello there. Hi, you're on air. What did you want to say? Yeah, look, hi. Uh, really interesting. I have been a vendor recently for a recently sold property and also a vendor for a property that's on the market. And I've actually found that the real estate agents are actively underquoting. Um and they aren't too keen to understand exactly what my reserve will be until they get to the auction, um, which uh, I, I just find really frustrating. And and I know why they're underquoting, yeah. because they're looking to encourage more buyers to actively be involved in the 
But they're not real buyers, though, are they? If, if someone's coming in and they actually can't afford it. So you might feel good, but it's almost like inflated ego, Jeff, isn't it? Well, potentially, but I also find that the agents uh, have very good intel um, on where individual buyers' uh, prices can go to. Um, they, especially the larger agents, because they have information for local suburbs. They're, they're continual. It's the same people that are sort of going to each um, open and and auction. And they know what they have been, where they've been an underbidder. They may know where the property, what, you know, what position that the owners are in, um, who are looking to sell the property. They, they know what their budget is. They know what they've recently sold. Um, and so I, I, it's just a very frustrating process. And especially <laughs> as a vendor looking for a price. And then as a buyer... Yeah, so you got frustration what... from both sides. Yeah, and it just yeah. just quickly on that, Jeff, because it sounds like you were almost happy to disclose or, you know, have that conversation a little bit more explicitly. Like, what, what shape did that conversation take when it sounds like they weren't particularly curious about what your expectations for the property were? Well, I, I tend to think that um, I shouldn't cast a wide... Uh, dispersion over real estate agents, but they're all in the hunt for a commission. So they're actively trying to get more, more bidders to c- become involved. And, and I asked the question about, you know, what about the underquoting? I mean, I, I happened to go to some options years ago for, um, Hock and Stewart in, in Richmond, which were fined, um, 330,000, uh, it seems back in 2014 and 2015. And, I don't know. I just um, the 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 agents just wasn't interested in your reserve. I find it fascinating, Jeff, that they didn't want to know your reserve until you actually got to auction. So many texts on this. How much of the fines are they actually impactful? Others saying it's not just first home buyers. We were looking to upsize as well for our family. You know, we're wasting our time going to auctions. Another that says I feel for buyers on the issue of underquoting. A house in our street was listed at a price that seemed very much like underquoting. It sold for three hundred thousand dollars over the top range. The comparable price. Properties using the agent's guide simply weren't comparable if you know the area. I reported it and I heard absolutely nothing. Mm. That's from Zoe in Coburg North. I'd also be interested, Jeremy, to be able to hear from people that maybe have reported it and made complaints and whether or not you've heard anything. Zoe, I've done the same thing and I didn't hear anything else. You feel better at the time, but then you're like, oh... Has it actually made a change? Well, Steve is uh, listening in in Essendon. Steve, have you had experience in this uh, this sort of world? Yes, I have. Um, similar to a lot of the other callers, but one one thing that we haven't discussed yet is the agent we used to sell our property was a friend, and the discussion we had was he doesn't want to be an agent that overquotes, and I respect him for that. And so we settled on a price that we really thought was realistic. And the problem we had was that we didn't get many people look at the house and the feedback was that everyone was adding $200,000 to your range. Ah, interesting. And so they thought, we, and I'll be honest, we advertised it for 1.6 was the top of the range and everybody we spoke to said, oh, we just added 200 and then it was out of our range. Or 
So even if you do the right thing, Steve, people are then adding that. It's so symptomatic of where our um, market is at, I think, is that there's that level of cynicism that people are also. I wonder how you navigate that, like saying something really obvious, like reserve listed within range mm. or, or is it going to be the extreme Jeremy we go back to the day I don't know about you but growing up there would quite literally be placards you know a, a piece of wood painted in someone's front yard that said property for sale inquire within and you'd go and knock on that person's door you'd work out a deal and people would when a private sale was very different to what a private sale is now we have a full board of calls heaps of texts we'll try and get through as many of them as we can this this is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. It's been pretty much 12 months since the task force was set up by the Victorian government to crack down, using their words, on underquoting. And if our calls and texts are anything to go by, we're not sure just how successful this task force has been. Well, but there's a lot of work to do at least. <laughs> Nicole Rich is the Executive Director and Regulatory Services Director at Consumer Affairs Victoria, who is a part of this task force. We know that some fines have been issued. Uh, I think in total there have inspectors have issued 48 underquoting infringement notices that total around $520,000 and they've issued 37 official warnings to 29 real estate agents, Nicole. Does that mean that it's been successful, do you believe? Well, hi, Rochelle. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm always happy to talk about this work that we're doing. And I was listening into some of the calls and discussion earlier and you could hear the frustration that people have with this issue, which I think is why the government has responded by putting some more resources into the task force. So I think I would say, um, you know, where it's a work in progress. Um, and the whole point of the task force is that uh, we want to up our activity in this area. And frankly, we really want to stamp out the practice. But you've had a year, all. Nicole. Is it still a work in progress 12 months um, down the track? Well, look, I don't look. I don't want to kind of make excuses. It hasn't been running for a year. I mean, it was announced in late 2022 and we've been scaling up. You know, we have to recruit people and so on because it is a genuine addition to the work that we're doing um, in the task force. So we've always had a focus on underquoting and poor sales practices. We've we've always felt it's not okay and um, want to crack down on it. I think the point of the task force and the reason we're scaling up the activity that we're doing is enough is enough. So I actually share the, um, the concerns and the frustrations of the people that have been calling in. And we agree, it's just, it's not acceptable and it needs to be stamped out. Um, you know, the, the observations that you were making earlier that people are basically, we've got to the point where people just assume that it's happening and people are adding on their own mm. amounts to them. I mean, that to me, I, I agree, it shows that it's become an endemic practice. And I think it's almost considered to be, well, people think it's unfair and frustrating, but also have got to the point where they're saying, well, it just happens, it's part of the practice. And I think in the industry, there's probably in some quarters a view that, you know, this is just the way that we do our business. And I guess the, what I'm here to say and the point of the task force is to say, well, no, it's not okay. It's it's unfair. It's misleading. It's actually unlawful. And you have to stop doing it. You need to go back to the basics of actually not lying to people when you engage in selling practices in the market. Now, there are on any given weekend thousands, you know, potentially of auctions going on, hundreds around, you know, the cities. And how does this actually work? Like, am I likely to look across and see someone in, 
you know, dark glasses glaring at the agent <laughs> or like what what does the task force actually do in a meaningful sense to, to sort yeah, of identify great, and stop these practices? Absolutely. It's a great question. Look, sometimes actually you will see our inspectors out at auctions. So um, be prepared for that. They have been attending weekend auctions to observe what's going on, but that is not um, the only or necessarily the main activity that we're undertaking in the task force. So these days we don't, I mean, I think in some ways the auction is essentially the culmination of the practice. We're looking at an entire sales campaign because underquoting occurs at the point when you are advertising the property and you put a price in the advertising and the price is essentially um, a misleading price. So we're monitoring from the time that a property first goes on sale all the way through the sales campaign to the auction. So we're doing that in a range of ways and we, we have monitored and are continuing to monitor hundreds of sales campaigns all the way through um, so that we can see what's mm. going on. Um, and yes, we have been issuing fines and warnings and we'll continue to do that. But we'll, how, we'll how much are the have, fines? Yeah. How, how big are the fines? So, I mean, I, I quite literally cannot keep up with the tax with people yes. talking about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that properties went over for. What, what sort of fine? If a property goes for $250,000 over what it was told it was going yeah. to go, what sort of fine could that real estate agent expect? Yeah. So at the moment, the fine, so I would, there's two types of laws that are most relevant here, Rochelle. So firstly, in Victoria, we have laws that specifically re relate to estate agents and sale of land. And those laws set out some really strict definitions of what is and isn't under quoting and what's okay or not. And under those laws, which we use regularly, um, uh, if you just do an automatic fine for a breach of those laws, it's about eleven and a half thousand dollars for an estate agent company at this point in time. And, and you can you can probably hear the audience sort of thinking, well, eleven thousand dollars in the context of a house that might sell for as much as two million and a healthy commission that comes the way of the real estate sure, agent probably doesn't risk. feel like. Uh, so there's a, I, I, look, I agree. I mean, I think. You know, it's a question, I mean, it's essentially, there's a question for government there yeah. about whether whether the penalty should be increased. But I, I guess what I would say is that's the fine penalty and we'll use it where we need to. Um, and, you know, in some cases, there might be more than one fine that gets issued because there might be numerous breaches um, that have occurred and we will fine for all of the breaches that we find if we find if we need to if, if there are um, numerous breaches yeah. sorry can i just because this was raised earlier the idea of there being some sort of public register or a way that the a, a, a sort of publicly facing accountability because i feel like that's quite crucial because we don't just buy houses off agents we sell through them too we don't want to necessarily be dealing with people and you who do are that doing... with appliances right yeah there are you can go through choices website or whoever it may be to see who is going to be reputable and who is going to be trusted should we have a similar thing with real estate agents especially if you find them nicole multiple times yeah look i mean there are there are restrictions on what we can publish in terms of fines because fines are not proven breaches of the law and so there are privacy laws that apply. Um, that's very different to the approach we take where, for example, we launch um, a disciplinary proceeding against an estate agent or court proceedings, which are matters in the public domain, and we always promote those so that people are aware of those. So I guess I'd say, you know, we would concede that fines are not the only answer here. Like, I think they're really important because they're a really quick and effective way that send a clear financial message to agents that they've done the wrong thing. But we also have a number of matters that are under ongoing assessment. And if they turn into court proceedings, we will absolutely 
be naming those. And of course, the penalties, if it gets to that point, are much larger. And I just wanted to make the point also that the Australian consumer law applies here like it does any time a consumer is buying any product or service. So that includes housing. Um, and it's really important that agents are aware of that as well. And the penalties for things like making false representations when you're selling land are very large under the consumer law. And we are looking at that as well. We won't hesitate to use that if we need to, if there are really egregious breaches that we're uncovering with our work. Are you confident, just finally, Nicole, because we, had, as I said, we've got so many people we want to get through, but are, are you confident that the task force has the resources and has the capability and the strength to, to do its job? Because as you said, it's illegal. This type of behaviour, this type of practice is against the law. Do you have the strength and the numbers and the power yeah. within this task force to try and stop this or is it just impossible? I don't think it's impossible at all. I think with this task force, we do. Uh, obviously, I'm asking for people to uh, work with us as we do our work, but absolutely our goal is to drive this from an endemic practice to essentially a genuinely fringe and criminal one. And just to remind people, you know, remember the days of dummy bidding at auctions in Victoria? People just assumed there were dummy bidders at auctions and people took it into account. But again, it was unlawful mm. and it's lying to people. And with a law change and more of an effort on it, it is now clearly understood to be unlawful and at best, not saying it never happens, but it's a fringe practice, right? People just know that it doesn't generally happen anymore. And that is absolutely our goal with undercoding as well. And I am confident that we are on track um, to drive that change. Well, if the many people on the uh, text line are anything uh, to gauge by, uh, there is a lot of enthusiasm for change in this space. So uh, fingers crossed. Nicole Ridge um, from Consumer Affairs Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, now, Les is um, listening in on the road. Les, what did you want to add to the conversation? Oh, I was curious to know why the task force, has, task force hasn't considered the use of the independent valuer. That's what I am. I'm an independent property valuer, a member of the Australian Property Institute. We're different from the REIB. We do independent valuations. I do them mainly for family war and, and uh, divorce, divorce cases, uh, property settlements, etc. But I often do valuations for vendors and purchases just to establish what the true market value is. We're arm's length, we're, we're valuers, we're not real estate agents. We we have no commercial interest, we have no conflict of interest, we declare that in our report. I don't know why the public have forgotten about the independent value where we yeah. do exist and I get regular work on this basis. Well, I, cause, I guess because maybe it, I mean, people don't either know about it or it would be the cost of it as well, Les, given that if you've already got to, if you're serious about buying a property, you've got to see a conveyancer, you know, you have to see a lawyer, you might have a building inspector to come around and make sure that it's, you know, stumped okay and wired okay. There's already, and then if you're too scared to go to auction yourself, you're going to maybe front up for a buyer's advocate or for someone to bid on your behalf. There's so many costs associated before you've even potentially purchased the property. 
Of course, cost is always the issue, and you need to understand that a, a standard residential value, I've just done one in Highton for a, an owner, and he, he needed to confirm what the agents were telling him. In this instance, the agent and myself were not all that far apart, but my valuation represents... At least then people know, don't they? They know whether you're in the game or not. Good to hear from you. This is from Geraldine, who's in Hampton. It says, agents who are fined should be listed. I need to know if I've signed on with someone who I think is a cheat. I actually think the naming and shaving, right? I'm into it. I'm into it too. Well, I because think. we like, and I understand that there are some legal um, hurdles to kind of clear on that front. But already, when you uh, Google a real estate agent, they are subject to uh, the same sort of Google reviews of any other um, business, and that there is a, a degree of accountability there. So why can't we find a way to tag I in agree. this uh, underquoting? Think thing? about the due diligence that we all do on a big purchase, and that, I mean a home. If you're lucky enough to buy a home, that's going to be the biggest purchase of your life and you're probably only going to do it once in your life. But if I think about the amount of due diligence I do if I'm buying a computer or, you know, if you need to buy a new washing machine, even a toaster, God forbid, I'll (laughs) do my due diligence on what's going to break down, what isn't. And you generally look at other people's reviews and you look at the history of that particular company. Why not real estate agents thrown into this as well? I did like that idea of looking back through that particular agent's um, history of selling properties, what they've listed for it and what it actually uh, then sold. I do like this um, from Steve from Essendon, who we spoke to earlier, said that he went to an auction uh, where buyers were booing the auctioneer when the auction started above the high end of the quote and ended up going for 200000 more. That is a vivid example of uh, how bad things have come. When you're booed at an auction, I wonder whether they cared or not, though, at oh. the end of the day. Underquoting, how is it impacting you? Have you wasted time or money? And is it possible to fix? What changes would you like to see? This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. We're talking about 12 months of the underquoting task force. What has worked, what hasn't, what changes would you like to see? This text I bought five years ago, underquoting was just the norm. I spent years research having high expectations and time wasted. Had underquotes up to 40% under the sale price, had ads suggesting three car parks when there was only one, had auctions delayed so that international buyers could run it over. It was all just terrible. Many people talking about the tens of, if not hundreds of thousands that properties have gone over for. Quentin Killinan is the Chief Executive of the Real Estate Institute of Victoria. Quentin, is it this bad? Uh, look, to, to me, yes, underquoting is an issue, absolutely. Um, to, to declare that it's rife and rampant in the industry, I think is very much overstatement. The, the great majority of our members um, are compliant, that they do understand the, the rules and they do stick within the rules. And I think that's borne out um, very much by what Nicole and her team have exposed in their, in their most recent uh, um, um, press release where they noted that uh, fines were levied against around about 18 companies and there were about 36 fines, I think, issued quite extensive fines, but when you consider that there's around about 5,000 real estate agents active across Victoria, and in the last financial year, we we held 31,000 auctions. So when you bring those numbers down, you'll see that, yes, it is a problem, absolutely, and a problem that must be stamped out, 
but it's not rampant, it's not rife, uh, and the great majority of the real estate agents that do operate across Victoria are compliant and they do understand the, the their requirements under law. Realistically, if there are 31,000 uh, auctions across the state, there's unlikely to be 31,000 compliance officers at those auctions or people, and I'm not suggesting sure. That, sure, um, sure, sure, that, sure. that that's going on across, but the mere numbers of reports versus numbers of auctions perhaps doesn't necessarily work in this thing. One thing I, I did find quite a compelling idea is this this idea of a more public-facing register. And if you look at the text line at the moment, there's a lot of support for that. Is that something that the industry... I understand that there are legal sensitivities around proof around this and what is underquoting versus what is just a hot auction day. But is there some mechanism that you would support... Uh, that gives a little bit more visibility to those who are conducting themselves in a way that you say you're not um, supportive Look, of? It's, it's a difficult one to, to actually come out and say yes, no, to, to give a definitive answer because, yes, there are so many uh, legal complexities around privacy laws and, and uh, declarations. Um, certainly uh, one of the things that we uh, implement uh, through the REIV is training of our members. So... Um, uh, I'm, I'm a great advocate that if uh, somebody is penalised, much the, the same as uh, in the US, where if you uh, get penalised for driving offences, you have to go to driving school uh, before you get your suspension lifted on your licence. Um, I'm, I'm a real advocate of training rather than uh, simple punishment and, and names and shames and everything else. Force force uh, additional training force um training uh, in what way though knowledge. training in what area and trained by understanding who, understanding what you've done wrong um the reiv has a has a wonderful course that we run for our members and if non-members um are, bre are breaching the law um we should put them through a, a, a course of training that says okay here is how you breach the law here is what you need to be doing do you understand this do you do you can you learn from this as to what you need to be doing to be compliant with the law? We can I just on that. We heard from an, a caller earlier who was had an explicit um, reserve in mind when dealing uh, when selling their property and when dealing with the real estate agents. He said that there really wasn't any curiosity. In fact, there was almost a forced um, ignorance of that reserve. They didn't want to know about it because that way they could put it in a price range and only find out about the. Um, Reserve, reserve, you know, right at the the days before um, the mm. auction. That doesn't sound like a mistake. That sounds quite intentional. And from the sense that we're getting, that doesn't sound particularly uncommon. Yeah, look, I, I can't. I, I I would be wrong of me to comment on uh, on a specific case where I have no real knowledge of it. But um, that that sounds believable, though, doesn't it? And there's well, others look, here look, that it's, says it's not it's considered rampant possible. because it's considered normal. Um, no, I, I would disagree with that. I, I don't think it is normal. Um, it certainly is an issue, and it's an issue that uh, we, as the the industry, uh, I get I get conversations of, with our members that um, I know are compliant, and they they clearly state that they're compliant, and that they they argue very strongly that yes, we need to stamp this out. Mm. We need to help. And that's why we are working very closely with Consumer Affairs and their task force to ensure that we are 
um, making sure that we get information out to our industry. So you think it's working, we, Quentin? Do you think the task force uh, look, is it, working? It's, it, it's certainly making an impact. Yes, absolutely it's making an impact. And I think what, what Nicole and her team are doing with the task force, um, I, I don't want it to, to, to be a, a sort of jackboot type approach, you know, where they're storming in, but certainly investigating um, chasing down uh, egregious uh, episodes or... or should it uh, almost be looking... like a three finds you're out? Nick is in Yarraville and he says real estate agents mm-hmm. should have their licence cancelled. Uh, look, I won't. I, I can't speak to that. Uh, I, I don't... I think that's possibly um, a very, uh, what would you call it, tough way of, of, of addressing it. But that being said, it, it, that may be a, um, a big stick approach at the end that you know yes if you continue to uh, get fined and you continue to break the law then perhaps uh, much the same as you would lose your driving license or or, or something else maybe that is the, the, the approach the deterrent. quentin we appreciate your time thanks so much look thank you quentin killian is the chief executive of the real estate institute of victoria let's have a chat to gary who's in surrey hills morning gary oh hi susan what did you um, want to say? I, just ring, I went to an auction last weekend in Surrey Hills. Um, I initially went through the property on its first inspection, which was three weeks prior, and um, the estimate was 2 to $2.2 million, which was in- incredibly low. Um, I said to the agent, it's ridiculously low price. Anyway... Just prior to the auction, like the Friday before, it was then advertised at 2.2 to 2.4. Um, and then last Saturday, it was sold for 3.28. Wow. 3.28? <laughs> 3.28. So a solid million and change more than the yeah, initial top range. A million range. more than what they what they um, were quoting it at. I mean, Just a all... busy day on auction day, that one? I mean, I guess it's all it relative, was, isn't it? Was, it, it? Was a, a million or, you know, 10,000, if it's over what your budget is, it's over. But that's huge numbers. This text says, oh, this is just rubbish. So many of us don't report under-quoting. Under, under quoting. It's just absolutely rife. In just a moment, a man that's been calling for changes, including the listing of reserves. But you can have your say as well. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story. Carter with you. We're speaking under-quoting today. The task force has been put into place for pretty much 12 months is it working? And I would love to know, Jeremy Story Carter, if people believe that they've seen an inspector at an auction, for example, I don't know how you sniff one out. But maybe you're told afterwards. Maybe you think that someone's been there. If you're a real estate agent, have you had an inspector rock up to one of your auctions and talk to you afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the idea that this is a really big space that will require probably years of change because you essentially need to get to a point that there's cultural change. There's no way that we're ever going to have inspectors or visibility on every auction that's going on. But what you do need to have is something that sufficiently de-incentivizes this sort of practice uh, that doesn't make it, you know, yeah, I might cop a 10 grand fine, but guess what? I just made an extra 100 grand in commission. So I feel quite okay about that. John's in Williamstown. Morning. Good morning. What did you want to say? Uh, it's actually Andrew from Williamstown. Oh, apologies, think, Andrew. That's all right. I think there's two sides to the equation here. Um, both of them are private 
citizens. There's the vendor and the buyer. And typically what happens at these auctions is that both of them get conditioned by the agent at the time of the auction. So the agent offers the, the vendor a higher, uh, the highest amount. That's how they get the listing. And they, and they suggest the lowest amount to the buyer. That's how they get the buyers mm. to turn up to the auction. Mm. A simple solution would be to condition the vendor to the point that you can put the reserve on the board when you list the property. Yes. And people and then, are starting then, to want to do that. Thing, the whole thing goes away. And the idea, lots of texts have come in, Andrew, saying we need to just get rid of auctions and make it more private sales. Do you think that that would help in any way? I think auctions are a really valid way and a really, really important way of doing it. But I think that nobody's being conditioned to accept a number until the day of the auction. And so you're doing the conditioning in a stress point. What do you do, Andrew? Do you work in the industry? uh, I'm I'm a chattels auctioneer. I'm I'm not a real estate auctioneer. I'm a chattels auctioneer. So I sell, you know, com- uh, commercial furniture by auction. So I've been in auction industry for 30 years. And I just see it all the time. They, they, you know, the, the, the agent gets the listing because they promise higher than next, li- at the higher um, sale price and a lower commission than the, than the other auctioneers. And they attract the buyer by saying it's going to get less than it gets. It's, it's, it'll never solve itself. The easy way to do it is to say the reserve is 3.2 million. And when, you get it, when the auctioneer gets there, he starts at the reserve. Mm. I re- yeah, it's. I really do think that the, we've hit a bit of a um, psychological barrier on some of this stuff, though, because as much as we may want change in the industry, uh, I do wonder if we're also sort of part of the traffic in this problem that uh, as a seller, you may really want to flex every last little um, trick to be able to get your the property of your you know the price on your property mm-hmm. as high as possible. So even though we might want these things to change, if I said to you, well, yes, you can state your um, reserve price, but that may lead to you getting ten or twenty percent less. Well, I mean, there's a, there's clearly a reason why these agents employ these. Drum up more people, but if the people they're drumming up aren't valid and don't have the money, is it just a false I mean, economy? We've we've had so many stories on the ABC about people who've overstretched themselves on auction That's day, true. potentially for lower interest rates, gone higher than they should have, and agents do rely on that that of, of pushing in people in the heat of the moment. Push, yeah. yeah, and as as our caller says, Andrew, that it is a um an intense moment. People do make rash decisions, and that the more of those people present, the better chance the agent has. To to get a higher uh, cost. Now, someone who knows a little bit about this space and probably uh, finds this conversation all quite familiar is John Keating from Keating's Real Estate in Woodend. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us. What have you made of this uh, conversation? I suppose the level of frustration from uh, the audience about um, just uh, how, how prevalent it is in their lives. It's been a most interesting conversation, Jeremy, (laughs) the last 45 minutes. But sadly, I've heard it over and over and over. Uh, Underquoting has been an insidious ploy entrenched in the real estate agency industry for the last 25 years. Uh, And until the government get hold of what the problem is, we recognise the problem. I've agreed with nearly all of the speakers. It It is rife. It is rampant. And it's all about the trustworthiness of the estate agency profession. And it's bait advertising, it's systemic, it's entrenched. And I don't think it will ever be stopped until there's auction rules reform that require the vendor's reserve prices to Mm. be advertised in all auctions. And that's something you've been calling for for over 20 years, John. And this is your, you know, coming, you're a real estate agent yourself. What I found fascinating 
earlier from a, a caller who they tried to do the right thing. You know, they tried to list the reserve and the real estate agent agreed, but then they just didn't get the numbers of parties interested because everybody was just presuming that it was 200 grand over what it was advertised for. So, I mean, even though you're working within the real estate world, do you find it hard to do the right thing? Uh, well, I do find it hard to do the right thing, but you know, I've been auctioning for over 50 years and I've been declaring reserve prices for most part of 20 years. Not every auction, but when a vendor will agree with it. And uh, a lot of uh, the agents in the industry are cheating on their competitors the, the way they handle the auction because a, a, an agent who does the right thing is at a disadvantage from somebody else who the agent has overquoted to the vendor by 10, 15, 20%. And that's just built into the system. There's no need for it. Uh, if reserve prices were required to be declared, it's it's very simple. It would be easily policed and vendors' price expectations would be self-regulated because they would not want to advertise their properties uh, at too high prices and waste their expensive hard-earned money on advertising if their own reserves were set too high. And vendors would quickly learn that realistic reserves are a biomagnet and attract more people to the auction. Those vendor expectations, though, I imagine, particularly as the market got to this sort of crazy, you know, place where properties are just at, it can often be at such astronomical prices. Those vendor expectations, I imagine, are a hard thing to combat. And um, you know, if you're looking to sell one property to move a family into another one, you're probably going to be looking for every way to eke out more from that. Is, is that a challenge internally as well? Well, it, it can be hard to value. It's, you know, it's a balance between science and emotion. Uh, but most agents have a pretty accurate idea, and vendors do. I often turn up to auctions um, uh, on behalf of somebody across the metropolitan area, and I'll talk to the neighbours, and I'll know what the quote is, and I'll talk to the neighbours who haven't got the resources our industry's got, and the neighbours often have a better, more accurate idea of what the property's going <laughs> to sell for than the agents in the profession. Yeah. I mean, it's just disgraceful we've got to bring transparency into it when we bring transparency into it uh with by declaring reserves more properties will be sold by auction and we'll have a sustainable auction system which is best for everybody i mean i've been down the track faced a lot of criticism i've done about 150 auctions where i've declared reserves from prices from 150,000 to over four million dollars and it does work and the number of comments i get very favorable comments from everybody uh, uh, vendors, purchasers, other professional industries, something really has to be done about this. And it's just a simple new rule to require reserve prices to be declared. There'd be no need for $3.8 million task forces to try and clean it up to get a minimal 500000 in fines. I mean, something's really got to be done to it. The time's come for change. Good to hear from you, John. Thanks so much. Good on you. Thanks for sharing. John, John Keating from Keating's Real Estate in Woodend. And Jeremy Storicata, you mentioned before that sometimes we can push ourselves beyond our limits and the emotion and the stress and just the hype, you know, the blood is pumping if you've ever been to an auction. So what that does to our behaviour and what that does to our emotional state. Dr. Payman Keza is a lecturer at RMIT in economics and is the director of Behavioural Business Lab who actually did a PhD on selling mechanisms in the Australian housing market. Payman, 
What does underquoting do to our behaviour and how we act, either as a vendor or as a as a purchaser? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, the first thing that the undercoating does is just increases the ambiguity and uncertainty for buyers. Uh, so you essentially have no prior about where the reserve price sits and whether you're going to be a winner if you make that particular offer. Uh, just place yourself as a buyer. You've got a limited budget and, and you know the maximum amount you can afford. But that should not necessarily be the value of the property you're going to to inspect. So uh, at the current stage, if if everything becomes ambiguous, the, the only thing you can do is just to go to the max of your budget, which is not always the best thing to do. So from buyer's perspective, if you're not aware of the undercoating and you simply go to auctions and and lose, psychologically there is a kind of extra pressure on people when they lose. So there are uh, several kind of instances that researchers showed that uh, losing has psychological uh, costs and uh, some sort of, let's say, disappointment in, in, in people's mind would result to those, those kind of disappointment in people's mind. Now, these are all correlated. Imagine you lost in three, four auctions. You're frustrated. You've been looking around for every home for a week or so. And now you're at a place that uh, you still very ambiguous about the value so you will push yourself and as much as you can and that's exactly what those people want who undercoat so and this pushing is not necessarily the best thing you can do and i imagine there's an extra element there where people are quite literally invested in that property in the sense that they may have spent upwards of several thousand dollars to get the you know might be a building inspection plus the services of a buyer's advocate, maybe lawyers, if they're really serious about it. So you do, you repeat that process a couple of times. There is a quite literal investment, in, I imagine, in your head that it's like, I really, I don't want to go through this again. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So this is these costs will basically accumulate in your mind. And in some sense, you may just give up inspecting. And that, that that's where you make further wrong decisions. So you inspect a few properties and you lose and then you go to the next one and say, OK, I don't want to invest anymore. And that's that's where the problem starts. So people will go to homes, do not have an accurate estimate of the value and then push this themselves until the uh, up to their budget. And that is basically what we don't want. We just uh, basically they end up buying something that is not valued as much as they they purchased it for. And that's when we talk about the emotion. It's not just the finances and the waste of time. It's the emotional aspect that we all invest. Payman, thanks so much for your time. Dr. Payman no Kessa, lecturer at RMIT in economics, the director of Behavioural Business Lab. Let's just quickly end with David. Apologies, David. We've kept you and you don't have long. What was your experience? Oh, my, my experience was a bit different. I agree with what John Keating said, that the reserve price allows people to look at the reserve and then go to the bank and if they need to borrow money and organise it in relation to that reserve. Uh, so I think that's a good idea. And you know where you stand before you start. And I like auctions because they're open. You know who you're bidding against or what you're bidding against. And you uh, you can stand there or, or do yeah. it on the internet. And you... Um, there is a final price done on the day. And then you know exactly where you stand with either auctions or private sale. We have to apologise to the texts that we didn't read and to the calls that we didn't get to. 
as we said right at the very beginning of this program, Jeremy, this is not only a, a waste of people's time and money. It is stressful and it's emotional. We are talking demoralizing. about... Demoralising. It's demoralising and we're talking about homes and you invest so much of our time and our heart into these decisions. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.